Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI Leadership Coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. We're thrilled to be chatting with Richard Newman today, CEO and founder of Body Talk. He is a keynote speaker on personal impact, storytelling, and mindset. He's an award-winning writer and author, an expert in presentation skills training, communication, coaching, and specifically pitch coaching. Richard's story is a really powerful and inspiring one. It's a real story of a personal pursuit and drive to understand how we communicate and how we should communicate. He shares key lessons and insights from his work with clients from all over the world, from many different cultures, and really shows us how good versus bad communication can make a difference, can result in higher performance and higher business impact. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. We have a really, really exciting episode for you today. We have the founder of Body Talk, Richard Newman, with us today. And we're going to talk all things leadership, communication, influence. Really excited to dive into this one. How are you doing, Richard? I'm really good. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me here on the show. Of course, of course. Really, really excited. I think the topics that we're probably going to cover today are, I think, some of the most crucial topics for people at work. We're we're talking difficult conversations. We're talking communication. We're talking um, how that all relates to us becoming better leaders and just better people. Really, really excited to dive in. But, you know, to kick it off, I think there's just one big, really important question that we love to start with, which is, and it gives us a good fertile ground to move around the conversation. What does leadership mean to you on a personal level? Yeah, great question. Well, I mean, leadership is very personal to me because I've been leading a company now for 22 years and I really, I've been running it uh, rather, I would say for 22 years, but uh, it was essentially a hobby that got bigger and then I needed more people. And once we got more people, we then needed systems and I was being nudged from various sides to become more of a leader. And I was very resistant to that idea because I said, look, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a trainer, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. I'm not really a leader of a business. I don't know what that is. And so I started to investigate it a little bit and got some business coaching, was reading books around it. And I kept on hearing these terms. You need to have a vision. You've got to have values. You need to have a mission. And I didn't honestly understand what they were or how they were different from each other and how they applied in the world of work. And so I really wanted to get underneath them to understand what they mean for me and therefore how they could help my organization and help the ripple effect that we're having with our clients and people beyond that. And so the way that I have made sense of it for myself is, first of all, around this term vision. For me, that is about, as a leader, creating the North Star for everyone so that no matter who is working with you, they thoroughly understand exactly where they're headed. Even if you get stuck in the woods, if you have obstacles to overcome in the sky, you can see the North Star. You're very clear on what it is and why it's meaningful. And this is giving people, it gives me and gives other people around me a sense of purpose, a greater sense of meaning in what we're doing, because I think that organizations can get stuck in the KPIs and what are our numbers for this quarter and people then get lost. And there's been a lot of people with the mass resignation that's happened over the last couple of years. A lot of people during the pandemic in the lockdown were just questioning what they're doing each day and does it matter and what is the point of it? And so I think it's absolutely critical as a leader for me and for other people too, is to have that North Star. But the second part that I had to learn was how communicating it to people, making sure that they understand what it is, not just having it and then saying, hey, everybody, I need you to do these things. And them saying, but why? Making sure everybody understands what that North Star is, why it matters, 
and uh, how that can move you in the right direction. And this became critical for my business during the pandemic because I run a live events business and people were saying, well, you're going to go out of business then. You can't get on an airplane. You can't be with people. What are you going to do? People in my company, people, my my clients, people in the industry were turning to me saying, what are you going to do? And we had to set a, a different North Star than where we were before, which was getting on an airplane every other day. And so we had this sense of this is what we're here to do. We are here to lift the people that we interact with and tilt the world in a more positive direction. And we're doing that in the field of communication to help people find their voice. And I got very clear around how I saw that North Star so that everyone in their virtual working can move towards it. The other two parts that I mentioned, though, is you've got vision. Then you need to have mission, which, again, was a term that I just struggled with. I didn't know what that meant and how it was different to the vision. But the way I see mission is I think of the movies, the Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise. So he gets this mission and it says, you know, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to go here, meet this person, get this thing from them and bring it back over here so that we can complete our vision. And that's the mission for me day to day for myself and for the people that are working with me is to give them the day to day tactics that will allow them to move towards the vision. So they know what the North Star is, but they also now know how they feed into that and why, why they're heading in that direction, what they need to do to move things forwards. And the last piece of this, which again, I struggled with, and I'm sure other people have, is the values. And I'd always seen values as something that big corporate offices, they chip this into marble above the the reception desk, and it says integrity, or it says teamwork. And, you know, people would just go about their day and in large part, ignoring what those things were, because it didn't mean anything to them. And so the way I think of values for myself and for my team is that the values are like the compass. So no matter where you are, even if you are stuck deep in the woods and you can't even see the sky because it's cloudy, you can't see the North Star. You look at the compass and the compass shows you North. And so your values show you this is where North is. We have these values that when you've got a hard decision to make and you are working virtually and you can't just go to your manager and find out what to do, the values say, if you need to make this decision, The decision has to be right for everyone on the team. So you can't just do something that's good for you or good in this project. It has to be right for the team. It has to have honesty about it. So you can't do something to achieve the goal that is going to be dishonest. So it's setting the north point on the compass where you say, I have to walk in that direction and that will get me to the north star. So, you know, for me, leadership, I have really built the way that I do it and teach others around it, around those vision, mission and values to a point where it's actually heading towards something meaningful and everybody has a purpose, a reason to get out of bed in the morning and knowing what they need to do. Amazing, amazing breakdown. Let's talk about the organization that you're leading now, Body Talk. I mean, would love to just, first of all, get the general background on where did it start for you? Why communication? Obviously your background, and then would love to know where the name came from as well. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, so my organization really came from me scratching my own itch, if you like, around communication. And so to give you the full story on this, when I was at school, I realized that I had a challenge with communication. I didn't know what that was, but I could see other people building relationships with each other. From about the age of four or five, I noticed that I seemed to be on the outside of conversations and friendships and banter that was going on. I just didn't really understand communication. And around the age of 16, somebody bought me a book called Body Language by Alan Pease, which is like one of the original books in that field. And it just opened up a whole world to me. All this stuff that people are doing, these signals they're giving off that I had no idea about. And I became totally fascinated with it, thinking, okay, this is my way forwards. Then when I was 18, I decided to turn down. I had lots of university offers. That's certainly where my parents and family expected me to go. And I just decided to turn them down and go off and do something good for the world and also expand my communication skills, which is that I went off to live in a Tibetan monastery, which was in the foothills of the Himalayas, where I was teaching Tibetan monks how to speak English. And the big challenge being when I got there, I realized they didn't speak any English. They spoke Tibetan, Nepali, and Hindi. And I spoke a bit of French and a bit of German. And so we had no language to connect with. So we had to connect through body language. So I had to use body language and tone of voice just to really understand, okay, where are we going to have our lessons? And what time are you going to be back? And you know, what do they need to learn? And then teaching them basic things in communication. And I spent six months living with them in this monastery 
And to give you some idea, this was in 1995, where they barely had electricity. They didn't have any running hot water before I arrived there. There was a phone that maybe worked for about five minutes a week. There was no email. There was no internet back then. So I was very much cut off from people. And if someone wanted to send me a letter from the UK, then it would take six weeks from when they wrote it for me to receive it. And then if I wrote back, it would take another six weeks for them to get it. So it's three months for somebody to hear from me. And so, you know, I was really cut off using body language and tone of voice to connect with people and loved it. And then came back to the UK, studied acting for three years in London, where I learned more about how to breathe, sit, move, walk and speak in a way that changes the way that people feel about your character and the story that you're telling. And then from there, the funniest thing that happened in starting my business is I was getting my hair cut one day and my hairdresser said to me, what do you do exactly? And I said to him, look, well, I was teaching English overseas. I studied as an actor. I'm now, you know, just deciding who I want to be, I guess. And he said, I'll give you a free haircut if you come and teach my hairdressers how to communicate. And I said, okay. And I did this two hour session for a free haircut. They loved it. And then I kept on doing these sessions, which they enjoyed. And pretty soon I got a phone call from an engineering company. And this guy said, I've just had my haircut today. And I heard that you're this communication expert. Could you come and teach us? And so I did, and I charged them a bit more than a free haircut and uh, they loved it. And so I got a website up and running and I kept on expanding my knowledge on communication. I read something like 200 books in the area and then I gradually needed more people on my team. And at the time, when I first started, I was really just focusing on body language. So I called my company Body Talk or more precisely UK Body Talk Limited as our registered name. And kept building from there. But then we built on, you know, storytelling and objection handling and a whole range of other pieces, media skills and things that we teach. But we've kept the term body talk because our clients seem to resonate with it. But just to kind of come back and finish answering the question, the original question, you know, where did this come from? I was diagnosed earlier this year as being autistic. And I had no idea about this until just recently. And maybe a year ago, I started, you know, the process of, of going through this diagnosis. And so the reason back when I was at school that I was having these challenges of connecting with other people is that autistic people and neurotypical people have different methods of communication. I didn't know that was what was going on. I just knew that most people didn't seem to understand me or connect with me, which is why I was really fascinated with studying everything and going on this journey. And so I've been able to look at communication from a completely different perspective of most people and see what the building blocks of charisma and presence and rapport and deeper connections with people. I've seen what they're all about from a new perspective and therefore can share with clients what that looks like in a way that gives them greater insights than if you had it from somebody who is just always a good communicator. Wow, that's an amazing, but that's quite a journey. And obviously the name of the company, it makes perfect sense. That is an amazing journey. I'd love to follow up with maybe, you know, go off script here a little bit. What do you think, particularly from such a journey like that, what do you think good communication actually gives people in the end? Like, what is that thing it gets you? Is it all about feeling heard? Is it all about expressing yourself? Like, what does it in life, what does it get you? Yeah, great question. So there's a few pieces that good communication, I think, give us. One of those pieces that people were yearning for when we were locked down and we couldn't travel around is that sense of connection with others. And, you know, we tried to replicate that with, you know, virtual communication and there are challenges there in communication, which we can talk about, but you know, we, what we're aiming to replicate is that sense of being with somebody else, being in rapport with somebody else, feeling connected with them, that they understand us and we understand them. And humans love that sense. It gives us a sense of safety. It gives us a sense of purpose in what we're doing, such as, you know, back from the days of having tribes and wanting to feel like we are part of something. We care about others. They care about us. We understand our place within that tribe. And so I think there's a key piece there, a human longing to feel connected and understood. Beyond that, the piece that I like to share with clients is how to make sure that they are able to have their voice heard, have their opinion heard by someone such that they care about it, understand it, and are willing to take action on it. So I see it as, uh, you know, sometimes people say knowledge is power. It's not actually. You can be the most knowledgeable person on a subject and still not have power in that area unless you're able to articulate that in a way that other people care about it and take action on it. 
And so I'm always keen to make sure that in a business situation or in life as well, that it's not just the person who's speaking the loudest or the most often that gets heard. I want to make sure that people who are timid with their voice or more careful in their words are able to speak in a way that they are listened to, understood, and able to influence the world around them. Yeah, completely agree. And I've actually always thought something very similar about that phrase, knowledge is power. I think it's almost like a, it's an entry phrase. Like, you know, you got to have some knowledge to have power, but it, it, there are so many knowledgeable specialists and great people in organizations that are here listening to this episode on the app, clients of yours that are trying to actually put that knowledge into practice. And, and the way we define leadership very simply is actually just influencing others. And, and this definition can be challenged, of course, is just influencing others in a positive way. And we add that positive because, you know, I think it needs a little bit of a almost positive moral connotation because influencing others, it, that also can be skewed in a way. It's not just about influence. It's about influencing in a positive way, but that influence is um, something else. It's a whole different capability or skill set than the actual knowledge you're trying to use. So I really like that. Now, I, I've read on your website and in other places that you do inherently believe that we're all we all can be good communicators. There's instinct there. Tell me more about that and tell me more about what are the top challenges that people are facing today that prevent them from being good communicators or even starting that journey. Yeah. So this is absolutely a fundamental belief of mine where my prior book that you mentioned there is called You Were Born to Speak. Because if I thought if nobody even opens this book, I just want them to get that message. Amazing. Yeah. And so I interviewed a lady actually a few years back, maybe five years ago, who was a specialist in early stage communication. And she said that from her perspective, from her research, she found that 90% of people have instincts around communication that they can use to get by in life and everything's going okay. There's two and a half percent that will have a permanent communication challenge, such as permanent hearing loss. And then she said there's another seven and a half percent who have a challenge early on that if they if they know what it is, they can identify it, they can work on that, they can gradually build up their communication skills. And as it turned out from that conversation, I realized I was in that seven and a half percent, that there was a challenge I had early on. And I'd just done everything, including living with monks, speaking like communicating non-verbally. Is reading 200 books, going through acting school, which was all my journey to figure out how to improve my communication skills. But to come back to that sense of the, the instincts that we all share, this is one of the great skills that human beings have that make us the dominant species on the planet. In fact, this was talked about by Yoval Noah Harari in his book, Sapiens, and talks that he did around this, where he was saying that if you take a look at other species Usain Bolt, for example, can't run faster than a squirrel. Other species are faster than us. There are other species that are stronger than us. But human beings have this ability to communicate with each other such that we can agree on systems and human concepts like currency and the borders of countries and so on. These are, these are concepts we've come up with that didn't exist before we were here. And billions of people then agree with each other that they will interact in that way through communication. And so there are certain instincts that we have and later on in life, I have people sometimes who come to me who, I remember this one particular guy who came to a course and he sat there, he looked a little bit grumpy and he was leaning back, folding his arms, just sort of sighing. And I overheard him. I was getting ready to teach the course. I overheard him saying, the thing is, this course is a complete waste of time because either you can communicate or you can't. And I can't, therefore there's no point in me being here. And I went over to have a conversation with him about it. And he said that, you know, he tried attending a course in the past. It didn't really help him. So it just reinforced this belief of his that he just couldn't communicate. And so, you know, I opened him up to this idea of having a growth mindset around this and shared with him, you know, I'd had challenges too. I was shy as a child. I am intensely introverted and I am autistic. And yet I've been able to make this journey and I've helped lots of people do it. I felt that he could too. And so he opened up his mind and said, okay, let's go on this journey. And essentially to help people be better communicators, the biggest principle that we use in order to get there is to get people back to their instincts, get them away from habits they've built up through their life. So one example I give people around this is that when you're a child and someone says, oh, tell me what you did today at the zoo, they use their arms. They'll say, oh, I, went, I, saw, the, I saw the zebras and then there were monkeys and then they flew down and then these birds were going around everywhere. Then I saw this instinct and this thing happened. And they're, they're incredibly creative with their tone of voice and with their gestures to tell a story. 
And then at some point in our lives, when we're communicating, you may experience rejection and feel like, okay, I'm not going to be passionate when I communicate. I'm just going to hold myself back. You may also get a manager who you work with, or maybe a colleague who says, oh, you move your arms too much. I've even heard multiple people who've come on my training courses say they've been told specifically to sit on their hands because they gesture too much. And when someone says you're gesturing too much, it often means you're doing the same gesture over and over again, rather than having variety in your gestures. So they have meaning and they are congruent with your message. And so it's critical that we gesture. In fact, there's a really important research that was done in the University of Chicago that shows that you have so many nerve endings going from your hands to your brain that if you gesture while you're speaking, you can speed up cognitive processing and therefore come up with better answers to questions. And so what we tend to do with people is if they are restricted around their gestures, or if maybe they're doing a repetitive gesture that doesn't really help them, then we're getting them back to their instincts and saying, let's get past any barriers, concerns, or armor that you may have built up around this. And let's bring you back to the way that you would have communicated as a child. Let's get you to a position where you're gesturing freely, but congruent with your stories. We also get people to a place where, I mean, so many people do this, where um, to comfort themselves in front of a difficult crowd, a difficult audience, they may find themselves, you know, just sort of swaying from one side to the next, leaning on one hip, then leaning on the other hip as they aim to sort of feel comfortable when the person they're speaking to is not engaging with them. And we say to them, look, get to the place that you would have been when you were one year old. When you stood up for the first time, you knew the only way to stand up is to stand up with gravitas. You have to stand up with your left foot and right foot planted on the ground, shoulder width apart, with a lack of tension in your knees. And then you could stand rather than be on all fours. And if you do that when you're older, you stand with gravity working with you. You have the image of gravitas. And if you speak from there and then you free up your arms to gesture, suddenly you're so much more charismatic because you're just doing what a child would do. And children are incredibly charismatic. They walk into a room and they command all the attention, not really knowing why. And so we often get people back to those simple instincts to stand with gravitas, to gesture with congruency, things that they can do naturally, but we need to take away the bad habits they've built up. Awesome. It's funny. I can find myself as you're talking, literally trying to pay attention to my body language and just sort of adjust it. And it's just the way that mirroring works. So that's fascinating. Any other actionable steps that you would work use to work with your clients that would help someone get back to that childlike version of themselves? Like, for example, the one that you just shared around finding that position of gravitas, any other things that might really help me find that person again, if I don't have any videotape of me as a one-year-old, what would I do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So a technique we stumbled across maybe even 20 years ago at this point is we found so many people, they speak without any variation in their tone. And they do this because they think that's how people in business should sound. That if anyone's going to take you seriously, you have to speak on a monotone because this tells people that your message is serious. But the problem is if you do it all the time, people stop listening because everything sounds the same. And so they don't understand why they should listen. And so you see this with people who speak at conferences like the CEO or the CFO stands up on stage and says, yeah, hi everyone. I'm here to talk to you about some really exciting news that we are expanding the company and you're all going to get a large bonus. And people listening are thinking, he sounds like we're going out of business. He sounds like he is terrified by what we're saying. So there's no emotion there. And so what we do with people here to get them back to their instincts on communication is we say to them, how do you want people to feel by the end of this conversation? How do you want people to feel by the end of this meeting? And so they might say, well, I want them to be excited or I want them to feel a sense of disappointment in our numbers. I want them to be concerned. I want them to be motivated. And we say, great, you're going to take all of your body language and all of your tone of voice and point it at that target that you want to get people excited or motivated, whatever is the emotion you're going for. And then to free them up from this business speak, this business tone of voice, we will often get people to read children's storybooks. And the great thing about this is that you cannot read children's storybooks the way that people often read their company updates. 
where they're talking about, you know, 27.2% and so on, because nobody would be interested. As we get into read these children's storybooks, where suddenly their gestures are moving, their face comes alive, their tones going up and down, and we get them to read a couple of pages of this, and then suddenly we put their business update in front of them and say, keep going exactly as you are, and make sure that by the end of this page, people feel as excited about this as they did about the story of the boat that you were just talking about. And so suddenly they go through it and they're applying total congruency to the message. The voice goes up and down. There's variation in pitch, pace and pauses where they need to be. And everyone in the room says, I now feel the way that that message is supposed to make me feel because you have delivered it. And so, I, you know, the key message I always give people on this is your ideas do not speak for themselves. I've heard that phrase too many times. Your ideas don't speak for themselves. You have to do it. And if you are taking someone's time with a virtual call, or if you're in person with people, they've committed time. The business has committed money to them being there. You've got to make sure that your body language and tone of voice brings those words to life more than an email would. And if you're not going to do that, just send them an email, cancel the meeting. But if you're there, you have to speak for those words and do it in a way that congruently drives people towards the feeling you want them to have by the end. Love it. Wow. Two, I mean, my mental notebook is knowledge does not equal power. Your ideas do not speak for themselves and break out all the children's books because that's a fantastic tip. And I can totally see how that would work. Now, there's a couple of things behind all this too, around a gravitas and the position of gravitas being more of a physical thing. And then the actual tone of voice being more of a, I guess, a, I don't know, I actually don't know if that's verbal or nonverbal. I would assume it's verbal, but like this, I hear all the time and actually Funny enough, my favorite class in college was a class called Conflict and the Body. And they brought in a bunch of actors and they the whole class was about the physical manifestation of conflict. And as you're supposed to resolve it, how do you sort of, you know, control that? And then they brought in the actors and then it all became real. It was simulated. It was by far, I remember more from that class. I feel like I've developed muscle memory. I remember more from that class than any other class because I feel like it's the similar reason why a lot of the other stuff was delivered dry. This was delivered, the whole class had a physical nature to it. There was, it was an experience versus just a passive delivery. Now, we learn in those classes that majority of our communication is nonverbal. I assume that's probably still correct and, and you probably share the same opinion, but how do we break that down? How do we sort of, do you start with people on the nonverbal side and then get them to the verbal or how does that all work? And particularly at Body Talk, what is sort of the approach you take given the fact that it's called Body Talk? I, I know you focus on the body, but what's your perspective on that? Yeah, good question. So I think that a lot of people, when we're working with them, they already have content that they need to share, but it's not working. And so a lot of the times they'll bring it to us. They'll say, look, this is the pitch that I need to give. This is the update I'm working on. This is my speech. And so they'll often have some of the words in place. And so because of that, we then work on their, usually we work on their style first and we'll say, deliver to us what you have at the moment, whatever that the content might be. You can have slides or, or just notes and just deliver for us what you've got at the moment that you're working on or something that you've delivered recently. And so we start then on the nonverbal because we're not going to coach them on the content. We want to transform that content. We want to coach them on the delivery just to show that they can deliver exactly the same content and transform their impact completely through their delivery. And in fact, this was something that we proved in a study that my company built up and I was working on for 18 months, which we got published in the Journal of Psychology going back a few years ago, which was a study called the Influence Study. And on this, what we got people to do is that we had these videos of these actors who were wearing the same clothes in every video, and they were saying the same words in every video. And at the end of this video, which is about 30 seconds long, people from all over the world, across Europe, Asia, going into the Americas as well, people would watch this video and rate the person on how convincing are you? How compelling is this person? Would you vote for them in an election? How confident do you think this person is? A whole range of different areas. And they'd watch that video, give the ratings, and that was it. But what they didn't realize is that we'd created 100 variations of that video, where in every video, the person's wearing the same clothes, saying the same words, but we're changing their delivery style. And what we found was it's extraordinary how, first of all, we found out in this study that it didn't matter if the person in the video was male or female, we got the same results. It didn't matter if the person in the video was older or younger, we got the same results. And it didn't matter if they had lighter skin or darker skin. It didn't matter if we did the test in Mumbai or Las Vegas. We were getting the same results. But the only thing that really changed the impact of communication is if the person's wearing the same clothes 
and saying the same words. If we change their communication habits from the most common habits you see people using every day and changed it across to what we found was the most effective style, that you could say those same words and increase the number of people convinced by your message by 42%. And it's the same message. In fact, the, the one that was the most surprising is that we could increase the number of people who would vote for you in an election by 59%. And you're the same person wearing the same clothes, saying the same words. And so that for us was you know, real sort of modern evidence of the fact that your nonverbal communication, your body language and tone of voice can totally transform the way people react to words. So we work on that piece first. The second area we go into with people then is we say, okay, let's take that content and let's storify it. So we are very much supporters of storytelling in business. Although a lot of people have, have done storytelling in business and it hasn't worked because there's so many people out there teaching it who are doing it in theory, but they're not helping people do it in practice. And so we have developed a storytelling system that we show people how they can take anything. You can take a spreadsheet, you can take a business update, you can take a pitch and you can turn it into a story. And so we show people how to do that with their message so it becomes utterly compelling. So yeah, for us, the delivery part tends to come first, story comes second. Equally, sometimes clients do come to us and they say, I need to do a pitch, I don't know where to start. And so then we might start with the story and then build out the body language once they've got something to deliver to us. Awesome. Yeah, that uh, I think is counter to what a lot of people, I mean, us as founders, I think we spend actually, being honest here, we spend 100% of our time on the content, right? 100%. And I, I think um, just as much as anyone, I think we need to be spending more time on the delivery. And and that's just very real. That's just very real for a lot of us out there. So break down, if just real quick, the storytelling side. What are your two or three top tips on once you've worked on your gestures, you've worked on your body language, you've got that gravitas, and I know I'm oversimplifying your top challenges or top tips on the storytelling actual sort of content side? Yeah. So the main thing to say for people on storytelling is that this is not about finding stories. So people say to me, how do you find a good story? You don't have to find stories at all. So often people in business make the mistake of thinking, I need to think of something that happened to me when I was younger or an anecdote about what happened on my weekend or a historical event that I can use and tie it into why my spreadsheet matters. You don't have to do any of those things to engage the storytelling mind. So storytelling simply means this. The human brain, to keep it really simple, there's three areas that you need to captivate in order to get someone to listen, care about your information, and act on it. We have to engage the survival part of the mind, the emotional part, and the logical part. Survival, emotional, and logical. And what stories do is they captivate the mind in those three areas in that order. So survival first, emotion, then ontological. In contrast, what most people do day to day in business is that they go into a meeting and they spend 99% of the time in that meeting in the logical mind, talking about data, graphs, spreadsheets, updates, and so on. And it becomes very dull and people leave that meeting with cognitive fatigue because they don't really understand why that information matters, why they should care about it, how it's relevant to them and their life. And so you can take that same spreadsheet that you want to talk to people about. And first of all, you captivate the survival mind. Let people really understand how is this going to impact a pain or concern that is critical to them. And once you have talked to them about that, you then talk to the emotional mind and you can talk to them imaginatively in imaginative language saying, you know, what if I could share with you a spreadsheet that would allow you to understand how in six months time you'll be able to achieve this goal and you'll be able to get to this place. If I could share that for you, would that be worthwhile? And what you're doing there is setting up the storytelling journey of going from the pain of where you are to the promise of the greater future that you would love to get to. So you're setting up almost the hero's journey from that point. You then go into the logical mind and say, this is the journey. This is how my spreadsheet shows you the pain of where you are, the promise of where you'd love to be, and the steps on the journey from getting to, from here to there. And you take them through it. And it feels like such a powerful journey for the mind. They feel like your spreadsheet is now a story of where they are to where they want to be and how they're going to get there with evidence of the steps that must be taken along the way. And so in simple form, that's what we do for people. And we also make sure at the end of a story that they're able to get people to start the journey. So we say to them, it's all very well sharing that and it being engaging. They could leave go, that is the best spreadsheet that I have ever seen anyone talk about. That was really engaging. What's for lunch? 
and then they end up doing nothing about it. And so your job when you tell a story is to get people to take action on that story. So you say to them, this is the pain of where we are. This is the wonderful thing about the future. This is how the spreadsheet helps us identify steps along the way. All I need you to do right now is take your first step on this journey. And this part of the spreadsheet, that 17.9% says the step you need to take today is this. And suddenly they begin the journey and then they're taking part in the story with you. Awesome. Awesome. Really, really actionable, powerful framework there. What do you think about all of the other narrative frameworks around declaring the status quo, declaring the enemy, because a lot of founders are out there using stuff like that. And this is, I don't want it to just be founder specific, but where do you think, are there pros and cons with some of those other frameworks and why this one specifically that you're breaking down for us now? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so much to look at with storytelling and I'd encourage anybody who's interested in this area, go and read 10 books on it so that you really deeply understand this from many different authors' perspectives. The original work on this that so much is derived from these days was the book that came out in 1949, which is Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is pretty difficult to read, to be honest. Ironically, it's about storytelling, but it's not written in a very easy to digest way. But if people want to look at it, they could look at Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey, which is a more modern sort of summary of it. And then he translates it into how you could use it to create Hollywood movies. But the challenge with these pieces, you know, sometimes people recite the hero's journey. I've seen this several times where people say, this is how storytelling works. You've got the 17 stages of the hero's journey, which is the denial of the quest and the belly of the whale and the innermost cave. You know, try applying that when you're writing an email to a client and suddenly it just all falls to pieces. They think, well, how do I do the, the belly of the whale here? And so <laughs> what we were keen to do is to say, okay, that's great, but what is it really? Like what part of the mind is it engaging? And why are we going in this direction? What are the core elements you must have? So we wanted to get a system for people that they could use in 30 seconds. So we were like analyzing TV commercials that are really impactful, that have a story in them, that get people to act, that are really memorable as well. And thinking, well, you know, how are they doing that in 30 seconds? And, you know, what are people doing in a five-minute talk or a 20-minute TED talk or a three-hour blockbuster movie? How can we take all of that and show people that this is how you action it in 30 seconds, five minutes, a 30-minute talk, a document? And so we were keen to get from 17 stages, or sometimes people talk about 12 stages is quite popular. Some people talk about eight stages. We just drilled it all the way down to as few steps as we could to say, this is what actually has to happen on the hero's journey. You're in a place right now that has challenges. Everybody has challenges. So everyone can relate to that. There's not a single person alive who's like, there are no challenges that I know of in my life or anyone I care about. Everyone has challenges, no matter where they are. Everyone wants to move forward and have progress and have growth. And so you can plant, this is where we are. This is a sense of growth in the future. This is a journey that gets us there. And these are the steps we can take. And so that's really what the hero's journey is. If you watch any movie, it's they start off in pain. They sense a greater day ahead of them. They figure out what they need to do to go on the journey and off they go and they do it. And so we wanted to minimize it so that you could, in an email, you can do that. You can say, hey, Bob, look, I understand there's a current challenge that you're facing around this area, which I know is concerning for you. I'd love to be able to get you to this better place, which is better for you and better for me. These are the ways that we can get there. This is the journey there. Hey, Bob, how about you take this one step today? And suddenly you can move them forward rather than sending them a spreadsheet and saying, just check out 36.42%. And, uh, you know, come back to me with thoughts, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so you know, being able to use it in a very short framework really matters for people. Well, and that's key, right? Because this is not just about presentations. This is not just about you need to get up in front of an audience. We're also talking about emails. As you said, we're talking about short form communication. In a way, you almost could even apply it to real time sort of communication. A lot of teams out there using real time chat platforms and things like that. I think it depends on the message and the circumstance and all, but like, that's what you're saying here, right? This core pillars, it's all communication. If you really want to deliver that message and get someone or some group, but someone to act on it, you have to have some degree of these three things. And, and obviously maybe elements of, maybe it varies, but that's, it, we're not just talking about getting up in front of a group. You have a slide deck and it's a presentation. This is far more applicable than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. Cool. Then I would love to touch on two more points before we head towards the wrap-up. Communication has changed a ton. You alluded to it at the very beginning. We're now virtual. We're doing this podcast virtual. You have all the interruptions and inconveniences of technology nowadays, which is maybe a whole other topic in and of itself. But like the quick synopsis from your end 
um, and maybe what your clients are facing as well on how have people been able to translate a lot of this stuff to the virtual and vice versa, not been able to? Like, what are these big challenges with taking these insights onto Zoom and otherwise? Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen in our two decades of teaching communication, we've seen this massive shift in communication. Everybody needs to really be on board with and be aware of and evolve with it in order to be effective in business. So we've seen it go from very formal to very informal over these last two decades. So we used to teach people public speaking. Then that became teaching people presentation skills. Then it was more teaching people conversation skills or interaction skills. And then it was interaction over Zoom when your cat is crawling across your keyboard and your child's in the background doing homeschooling and you're no longer wearing a suit and tie, but you're just wearing a t-shirt and jeans. And so communication has shifted to a place of less formality. The other thing that people need to be aware of in the virtual world is that there's certain elements of human connection and bonding that happen when we are together that we miss when we're in the virtual space. And so if you think about if someone comes to meet you at your office building, then you know you meet them at the front door and you say hello and you talk about their journey and you know maybe you offer them a cup of coffee and you're chatting about their weekend and finding out about their family and then eventually you arrive at the conference room and sit down and you say so let's talk about today's meeting but what's happening a lot in virtual meetings is that people say okay well the uh, the meeting today starts at, at 10 and by 10.01, everybody's expected to be there. And whoever's in charge says, okay, well, let's do the introductions. This is this person, this person, this person. We're here today to talk about this. And a lot of that informality is missing there, which is actually critical to the relationship working. So those elements are not just nonsense or a waste of time of meeting someone at the front door. It's all critical in that building a bond with another human being. And so I would say for people in that virtual space, even though these days, you know, we also have nine meetings a day where we used to only have three because you couldn't travel to more than three. So we'd have nine meetings a day. You've got to make sure that you've got time in those meetings built for the human connection, not just for going into work mode. And you can think about this with, uh, you know, from a perspective of parenting, where I was always told I've got two young kids and you need to connect before you correct. So if you've got limited time, and this happens to me when I'm you know, working from home, is that I might suddenly, I'll be busy between meetings, I'll, I'll head into my house, and I'll suddenly see that one of my children might be playing video games instead of doing their homework. And if I just walk past them, and the only interaction they have from me is, hey, stop playing video games, go and do your homework, then suddenly that's an issue for our relationship. Yes, the instruction I've given them is correct, but we're not having that connection at the beginning or the connection at the end. So you need to make sure that you have that in parenting. You also need to have that in your meetings, building up that sense of connection. Another piece that is just a critical and just a simple tactical thing that people can do is that you want to engage people with eye contact or as close to it as you can. And that sense of knowing that you're looking into somebody else's eyes has dropped with the virtual world. And so, you know, you get a lot of people who'll be just sort of staring at another screen and you're thinking, okay, are they looking at me? Or are they looking at their emails? Is that their social media that's over there? I don't know. Or depending on the platform you're on, like the person's video can be way down the bottom of the screen, either side. So I always say to people, whatever platform you're on, move the person's video, the image that you're looking at, as close to your webcam as you can, because then you can recreate eye contact as much as possible. It's not 100% possible, but it allows you to have that feeling of real true FaceTime with that person rather than a feeling of disconnect. So that's a nice, simple one that people can do. Last piece I'll give, because I just like giving tactical advice, is measure the height of your webcam. If you really want to represent day-to-day conversations, what we're aiming to create is the sense that you are across the desk from me. And so we want to imagine like we're in a conference room, we're in a meeting room, we're in my office somewhere. And so what we visually want to see of each other is what we would see across a desk. With a lot of people with their virtual setup, you can only see their head, it like in the bottom of the screen somewhere. For some people, you might be able to see their shoulders, but you can't see their gestures. So you must frame your virtual setup so that somebody is on eye level with you on their webcam and that your hands can be seen on camera so that if you need to gesture towards the person and open the conversation up or give them a serious statement, something like that, they can see those gestures and interact with you visually as well as vocally. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Th- those are, those are, those are, uh, extremely, extremely tactical, uh, pieces of advice. And, and here I am looking at mine and I have this sort of stand for the laptop here, but I, I don't think I bring my hands up enough for whatever reason, but you can see my shoulders and the mic. And, um, I, I think that's all. It does make a difference. Um, and I love the connect before correct. I think I, I would almost even, at least in my experience, boil that one down or boil it all down to, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. You just, you uh, that trust building that macro trust building relies on those micro interactions that we simply don't have and um you have to almost create time for them in a in a different way nowadays and i also find it really fascinating we go from formal to informal on the sort of macro communication scale it sounds like but it's it zoom communication i i it is it's almost all formal or at least it has the tendency to be formal in the sense that we're not treating it like the informal we're not, it's different because you get on Zoom and then, yeah, you have to start the meeting and, and you don't have that. It's just not natural to have that. It's not have to have that informal video chat. So um, really great stuff to keep in mind. Um, I'd love to end, before I ask you sort of our last question, Richard, which is always sort of the, the big one, um, I'd love to end on a, a quick anecdote um, because I'd love to sort of give people a sense of wh- where this, wh- what kind of impact this can have on an organization as a whole. Um, obviously, on your website, Bodyatalk has helped one client go from just really, really, really transform. You even have the, the number of like win over $1.2 billion in new business by improving communication, uh, which is obviously huge. Tell us how better communication is at the bottom of that change and that rule and that win, how can better communication generate numbers like that? Everyone's wondering it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, in that one specifically, there was a client who came to us who it's a large engineering company and they had a roughly one in four success rate in winning large government contracts that can be worth hundreds of millions. And they came to us and said, look, you know, it would make a big difference if you could move us up to about one in three success rate. And so we worked with their team over a course of a year and we would do uh, two day, usually two days, sometimes three day workshops before each of those big pitches that they were going for. And with these pitches, they could be building up to it for 18 months of, you know, understanding what was required and building a team and putting together massive documents and getting sort of shortlisted. And then we would work with them in that final stage before the big final pitch. And essentially what we worked on, uh, you know, to kind of summarize it is we worked on storytelling with them so that rather than them just going into technical information, they were able to sell a better future than any other company. So the future that they that people believed was going to come out of working with them uh, sounded much more impressive and uh, much more uh, professional or whatever we were going for there than what other people were going for because it was very clear in the story form highlighting the benefits of working with them. And so we, we coached them on storytelling. We coached them on team dynamics. Uh, we coached them on objection handling. And also coach them on their body language so they would appear as a team, appear confident. And, uh, you know, essentially what we're always aiming to do is to give them the results they deserved. If we didn't think they were worth winning the contract, we wouldn't support them. But they were really well worth winning these. They just would come across overly technical with too much information that would bamboozle the people they were listening to. So we made them uh, look and sound like leaders. Uh, have their story be uh, utterly powerful and con- connect with you know the imagination of the people they were speaking to and handle objections in a way that built relationships rather than uh, destroying relationships as they can do. And so by doing that for them, over the course of that year, instead of winning one in four, they won 100% of the pitches they went for, which gave them that $1.2 billion in new business in the space of a year. Amazing. And, and that's simply by working on, as you said, at the kind of in the middle there, simply working on similar content or even the same content, but working on the delivery and getting people to use those parts of their brain that weren't being activated previously, right? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Last question. If you could, and back to the personal. So this is, this is for you. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, go back in time to the beginning of your career, I guess as a leader, but also as a communication expert. What would that one piece of advice? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question. Uh, And I think the big piece of advice that I would give myself is essentially to trust your instincts. And by what I mean on that, there's there's multiple layers to it. I feel really delighted that I went on the journey that I have gone on, even though, you know, it's been very challenging at times. But, uh, you know, to, to say to myself, 
essentially you're on the right path. Trust your instincts with this and go for it. But also to trust your instincts with people. There's been certain times where my gut has said, there's something wrong here. I don't, it, this doesn't feel good with this person, whether it was a client, provider, contractor, uh, or a member of my team. When my, when my, whenever my gut said, oh, I'm not sure about this, and I ignored it, then that was to my detriment. And so, you know, trusting your instincts on people uh, can be good for you as well. If you think, I get a good vibe about this person, I'm not really sure why, trusting your instincts there. And, and trusting your instincts for me also means that you make decisions uh, based on faith rather than fear. So fear is, you know, the monkey mind that we have in our heads that says this isn't going well and starts to try and shut you down. Whereas if you trust your instincts and you you lean into a sense of faith that you're moving in the right direction, then you can lean into every challenge and grow yourself uh, to the next level of your life. So yeah, being able to trust your gut instinct on something and, and lean into it with faith is uh, absolutely what I would go back and, and tell, tell myself. And I, I'm fortunate to have learned that lesson along the way, but uh, being able to know that that was okay early on would have been good. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of listeners. Thank you for that. There's a lot of listeners, listeners who are out there at the beginning of their careers and at the beginning of their communication journeys too, and, and certainly have heavy influence challenges right in front of them on a day-to-day basis. So, um, this great advice, all of this has been amazing, Richard, super tactical. I've walked away or I will walk away with easily two or three nuggets that I'm going to try and promise myself to put into action following this episode. Huge thanks from my end on behalf of the whole community. And, uh, yeah just uh, this has been great thanks thanks anthony appreciate it sure thanks for listening to teams at work let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode you can find us on twitter at daria gutnick and at anthony a rio or simply follow bunch at bunch underscore hq and don't forget subscribe if you like the episode because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time.